In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today the Church celebrates the dedication of the first Marian Basilica in Rome, erected in the year 435 by Pope Sixtus III. It was built on top of an earlier structure built by Pope Liberius. And that building in turn had been built on top of a pagan temple dedicated to the goddess Cybele. Now, a 13th century legend started up, which most likely is based on some foundation of truth, that the first church that was built there over that temple was built by the Pope Liberius in 352, or around there, mid-4th century. And it was done there on the occasion of the apparition of the Blessed Virgin that came to be known as the Virgin of the Snows. In French we say Notre-Dame des Neiges. And there are many chapels and churches dedicated to Our Lady of the Snows. And uh, the story was that there was a wealthy patrician by the name of uh, Giovanni Patrizio in Rome. He was a good man, married with a good wife, but they couldn't have children. So, well, in the Bible traditionally this was seen as a kind of a form of punishment uh, that the wife should remain barren, but neither of them saw it like a form of punishment. They really, more than punishment, they just accepted this reality and, but they wanted to see what they could do with their money, and they asked God insistently what they could do. So that's what happened. God stepped in and told uh, this Giovanni Patrizio on August 4th, on the August 4th, 352, this fellow had a vision, and Our Lady told him to build a huge basilica. So the next day on August 5th, in a time which was unbearably hot in the city of Rome, they call it the Ferragosto, where everybody just leaves the city because it's so hot, right on the top of the portion of the Esquiline Hill, suddenly, in the, in, in the early August, it was c- covered with snow, and it had fallen at night. And, and uh, in fact, both Giovanni and his wife had separate dreams to build this church. And uh, they were told to build it precisely where they saw this snow that landed. And, in fact, this would be a way to make use of their inheritance. And so this Giovanni guy reported the whole matter to the Pope, Liberius. I guess he had contact with him somehow. And, and, uh, And the Pope also had that dream. And so there was this massive procession, the clergy, the people, Liberius, uh, Giovanni and his wife, and in that morning they had a solemn procession and they went up to that hill and the Pope marked off the area where this basilica would be built. And in fact, if you go there inside today, there's a low-relief marble depiction of that moment where you see the Pope with his mitre on and everything. You know, it's like it's like a foot of snow. You know, it's, it's quite impressive. So that 
that was the first shrine and then later on in the 5th century around 432 or so Pope Sixtus III had the, the Basilica rebuilt and that was done on the occasion of the definition of Mary as the mother of God uh, that happened at the Council of Ephesus and so he consecrated the Basilica in honor of her and in this basilica, I mean, you, if you go to Rome, you have to go there because it has some of the earliest Christian mosaics that show as you enter on the left side, way up on the clear story, scenes from the Old Testament. And on the right side, you see scenes from the New Testament. It's really quite stunning. And of course, the clear story is so high up that as you see the scenes of Moses, uh, you know, with the burning, uh, with the burning bush and, 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 and the rock of Meribah and all that, they're so high up that that you can't even make them out when you first come in. But as you move up, you see that the artist himself realized this, that they were like, like you know, he made them too detailed. So he simplified the style, you see, and so that you could, you could make it out better. And as you progress, the style gets somehow more refined, simpler, more easy to recognize. Right? And uh, it's, it's quite a, a progression, as you say, when you look at it. But it's one of the earliest forms of Christian art, you could say mosaic. And as you do that, you walk on this beautiful Cosmotesco floor, and further up you'll see that Bernini uh, is buried there, the famous, uh, of course, Baroque artist who did large parts of St. Peter's Basilica there in Rome. So it's really a beautiful, beautiful basilica. And, and as you wake, walk forward towards the uh, sanctuary, you'll see what's called uh, the Church of the Crib, or a kind of a, a sanctuary area where you see a, a little grotto, uh, with uh, a statue of Pope Pius IX from the 19th century, and he's looking at a relic of the crib, and um, he's he's kneeling there, and it's a beautiful image. He's he's smiling, he's happy to be there in front of that beautiful relic. But of course, most important, on the left side, there's another chapel there, and there you see a beautiful uh, icon of Our Lady uh, attributed to Saint Luke, and it's called Salus Populi. Romani, the health of the Roman people, attributed to St. Luke, and Pope Francis has a great devotion to that. He goes and lays flowers there, but but the name Salus Populorum Romani, the health of the Roman people, derives from a miracle in which the icon was, um, you know, paraded through the city of Rome during the plagues that took place in the city, and, and the plagues would relent, you know, kind of like COVID today, imagine that. They didn't, maybe they didn't have COVID, but they had other plagues, right? So Our Lady came in to help. That's part of the reason why Pope Francis has such a great devotion, such an ancient image. She's tender. She's our mother. She protects us. And it's really that shrine, St. Mary Major or Santa Maria Maggiore, is really the first Marian shrine for pilgrims with, with aisles on the side so that you could go and visit even if Mass is celebrated. And it set like a precedent for countless other shrines throughout the world in honor of our Blessed Mother. And it's really uh, an authentic expression of popular piety uh, that has been since then certainly the source of untold blessings uh, for, well, for many in, in, the, in the church, you know, throughout, uh, throughout the faith, you know, right, right now, right until now. I mean, anytime you go there, you have to go to Our Lady of, of uh, uh, Santa Maria Maggiore. You have to go there. <laughs> and even... In, around the, the time of the First World War, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, you know, 1915, around there, Pope Benedict XV had a statue made and placed there of Our Lady of Peace. And she's shown there, it's a marble statue with a child on her lap. 
and she's extending her arm uh, kind of like like a gesture of say like peace like you know stop this war kind of thing and it's there has a certain relevance relevance for us for those who are in Montreal that because I don't remember who the cardinal was but there was a cardinal in the 50s or 60s that that gave a gift of that a copy of that image to Cardinal Leger who was the Archbishop at the time of Montreal and that that image of Our Lady of Peace is now in the Cathedral of Montreal. And there's a little kind of, uh, you know, absid where she is. And a lot of people go and pray there. And and, uh, and she's like, you know, I'm Our Lady of Peace. I'll give you peace. So that's part of the reason, you know, that we go to these beautiful shrines, eh? because we do, we do get peace. Now, but on today, which is the anniversary of the dedication of that beautiful shrine, of that beautiful building, with all its history, what what do we get? What what can we learn from? What do I learn? Yesterday was the Curé d'Ars, the, the Saint Jean Marie Vianney, where we prayed for priests. But but what about today? Well, we think that, of course, according to that miracle, it it snowed on a blisteringly hot day, and that like. That's impossible. How can it snow on a day like that? It's it's quite the miracle, really. But it is at the same time a miracle, you could say. But it's 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 rather a symbol. This account of the great love for the beautiful virtue of holy purity that we have to have, and that made Holy Mary, the Blessed Virgin Mary, so beautiful. The snow is white, and she is described as alba sicut nix as pure as snow and that purity is very pleasing uh, to god saint Josemaria said in the way netimias maria do not be afraid mary our lady was troubled at the presence of the archangel so just in case i was thinking of throwing overboard those details of modesty that are that are safeguard of my purity. Right? So, he's basically saying, modesty, um, details like that, they help us to live purity, both in the way we speak, the way we dress. Right? Um, they help safeguard what we look, we should be modest in what we look at, decency. Right? They're, they're described, modesty and decency are described as little brothers of purity or little sisters of purity, I suppose. But, uh, and here's what he says uh, in his um, book, Friends of God. He says, I think of this virtue, the virtue of holy purity, as the wings which enable us to carry God's teaching, his commandments, to every environment on this earth without fear of getting contaminated in the process. Wings even in the case of those majestic birds which soar high, higher than the clouds, are a burden and a heavy one, those wings. But without wings, there's no way of flying. And I want you to grasp this idea, he said, clearly, and to decide not to give in when you feel the sting of temptation, with its suggestion that purity is an unbearable burden. Take heart, fly upward up to the sun in pursuit of love 
And that's what we ask Our Lady now to protect us from when we do feel the sting of temptation, if you want to call it that. I mean, we are all tempted because we are all human. We all have passions, the heat of passion. And it can take us down to think, I can't do this. I can't live purity. I can't live chastity. We may think like that's the rationale that may kind of enter into our head. I heard a priest some years ago, quite a few years ago, who was working in a seminary, and he said, you know, I, I was talking to him and I said, you know, why do, you know, what percentage of people that come into the seminary, seminarians, how many did they leave? I don't remember what percentage he said, but it was a large percentage, a high percentage. And and, he, and I said, why do they leave? Why, why do they come into the seminary? To be priests, hopefully, or to discern, and then they leave. And he said, most of them, it's by, on account of chastity. They're not willing, he said, to live it. And he said there, the one sense is that they are like men afraid to get into the into the plane and to fly. They are like afraid of flying higher, and uh, they just prefer to stay on the ground. You don't know, take the train, you know. Uh, but a plane that flies slow or low, you're in greater danger if you fly low. You know, like the mother said to her her son who was a pilot, okay. Goodbye, honey. But remember, fly low and fly slow. And then he's surely going to hit something. We have to fly high. Ask Our Lady to help us to fly high without any sense of loss. As though, as though by living the virtue of chastity, living the virtue of holy purity, as though we had not truly loved. People say, oh, love is love. Love any way you want, you know, do whatever you want. Love is love, is the typical phrase we hear. But we are soaring up there with the wings of grace much higher than could be humanly possible if we entrust ourselves to our, our, Our Lady by living the virtue of chastity, each one in our own state in life. Whether we live apostolic celibacy, we have to live chastity, uh, in the, in the form of continence, or we have to live it, you know, when we're married, when we're married, yeah? and you know, with our example, more and more people can live this high ideal. Whether it's the example of fidelity in marriage, or whether it's the example of of living apostolic celibacy, yeah? we cannot hide. We cannot. We have to fly higher. Yeah? But you know, he used this example of the wings that make us fly. And that's certainly what they do. We fly high out of love. But also, eagles' wings, they also have the purpose of protecting their young with their wings. I've been teaching a course on the Pentateuch, and we talked about uh, Israel's wanderings in the desert and their hope of entering the Promised Land. And in the book of Exodus, chapter 19, God describes leading Israel from Egypt to Mount Sinai with a very uh, moving uh, metaphor. He says, I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And that was kind of later taken up by the psalmist in Psalm 36. He says, How precious is thy steadfast love, O God! The children of men take refuge in the shadow of thy wings. Yeah? Sub umbra alarum protege me domine. That's, you know, under the shadow of your, your wings protect me, O God. It's a beautiful hymn that we read in the, in the breviary. That is, Israel is God's brood 
And Sinai is a temporary kind of resting place. We are the like the brood of God. And indeed, in, in later Jewish tradition, this poetic line from Song 36 uh, is used in the prayer, in the beginning of the morning prayer, as as uh, the priest, you know, the, the Jewish priest or the rabbi would take the sh- prayer shawl, put it over his head and over his shoulders, kind of, if you Im- imagine like a shawl going over your shoulders like that, it kind of imitates the outstretched wings of Yahweh that that shadows and shelters uh, his beloved. These divine wings that shelter us in this overarching image which we see also uh, in Psalm 91. The Lord will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. It's a beautiful image. And I've seen pictures of, of rabbis in the temple or you know, in front of the Wailing Wall, they they've got these beautiful shawls, and they they have this sense of being protected. And this Jewish tradition, reflecting on God's shelter for Israel in the wilderness, pray they pray for the protection by invoking God's sheltering wings. And we do that also. We use that in the evening prayer in the breviary. We use that same phrase. So we must ask God to shelter us and to really give us this beautiful virtue of holy purity and protect us too by the wings in this maybe we can ask is specifically for the wings of our blessed mother because you know that Mary we see Mary on icons like the icon there in Santa Maria Maggiore um, but she's also represented with wings you know Mary with wings and these, these are from the vision that Saint John has and recounts in the book of Revelation in the book of the Apocalypse chapter 12 she is, as we say in Latin, mulier amicta sole. She is clothed with the sun. And there's that passage, if you read chapter 12, how the child is taken uh, to heaven and the woman flees on eagle's wings into the wilderness eh? and to a place that is prepared there. And then there's a big battle with the devil in heaven, this dragon, and she escapes then from that devil with her wings. Indeed, Our Lady of Guadalupe is that same uh, vision of our of that Saint John had. Our Lady of Guadalupe, if you look at it, uh, now she doesn't have wings, but other images similar to Our Lady of Guadalupe have Our Lady kind of she's kind of like not quite bowing, but kind of turning her her body a little bit or bending it, if you like, and you can see wings. Eh? I remember going to Ecuador and I went to Quito. And there, there's a hill that dominates the city of Quito. And they have there a very, very, very tall statue of Our Lady with wings. They call it El Panecillo. Panecillo. And it's Our Lady of the Apocalypse. And I heard that for during the 1970s, there was no statue there or anything. And, you know, the authorities and the bishops and people were trying to decide what the with the place there, they were going to put a native there, some tower, some kind of, a, not, not, not a lighthouse, but something, and they finally decided, you know, let's, let's put Our Lady protecting over uh, the city of Quito. And that's what you can see for, I don't know, for miles around, you can see this beautiful image of Our Lady, kind of looks like an angel, but it's actually Our Lady with wings. She's clothed with the sun, clothed in purity, she protects us like an eagle protects her young. So, well, she's as white as the snow, and how can she do this for us? How can she help us to live holy purity? 
Well, we have to be countercultural in many respects. Our society has become obsessed about sexuality, about feelings. It's as though emotions and feelings have become so powerful that they have blinded us to, even to common sense, to fidelity, to, to real human dignity. We can pray right now for all those because of passions, because of those things, are tempted, for example, to divorce. Maybe there's somebody who's, I can't take living with this woman. I can't take living with this man, you know, because of the character and, you know, and um, and for those of us who live um, apostolic celibacy, we must remember we are not people who do not love, yeah? who are somehow arid or like dead leaves in their hearts. Yeah? Our hearts have to be aflame with the truest and most beautiful love made of the sacrifice of self and made for for apostolic zeal we may, we live that kind of availability by availing our heart eh? to be able to to evangelize to, to bring souls to God it's kind of like the wine at the marriage at Cana I remember the wine at the marriage of Cana in, in st. Luke the first wine was a good wine. It was pretty good, you know. We had a party and there was wine. Uh, but it ran out. It ran out. And then Jesus stepped in and produced this miraculous wine. This pure, it's like pure love, right? It's, it's like like the two loves in any marriage. The first love is the love that brought you together. The first romantic love that you're attracted to, your spouse, your future spouse. It was romance and it was just powerful. And if it wasn't for that, you would not have gotten married. But that love, however beautiful it may be, can run out. The second love is the love that is kind of imbued with the sacrament of matrimony, with God's grace. It is imbued with sacrifice. And that is the love, like that water, eh, where our Lord uh, had had the servants pour the water into the carafes. And then he, he touched the water and it was transformed. Into, now that, that, that was like, whoa, that was amazing wine. Remember the host said, whoa, you have kept the best wine for later. Not for the beginning, for later. Hmm? And, and I suppose in the marriage of Cana, like the, the, the rationale is that, you know, when people are, are completely drunk and can't recognize the value of true wine, you know, why put the good wine then? But it's really an image of how as you get older, more subtle, more mature, your love can also mature. Our purity can mature. Our chastity can mature. And the same with us. I mean, anybody who has embraced a vocation, at the beginning it brought a certain enthusiasm, but it, the enthusiasm part can only last a certain while. This is true for priests. Anybody embracing apostolic celibacy, it lasts a certain time, but it can, it can dry up. So we ask Our Lady now to coax her son to transform our water into the wine of true supernatural love. True supernatural love. And that, indeed, in the way, there is a beautiful passage there at the very end of the way, number 994, we have St. Josemaria quoting from a letter. He says, he quotes, My enthusiasm is gone, you're right. You have to work not out of enthusiasm, but out of love. Conscious of duty, which means self-denial. So that phrase, my enthusiasm is gone, 
I always wondered who that was. So I looked up this study on, on the way and stuff, a, a critical study or whatever, and they, and they said that that was actually Blessed Alvaro that said that, that wrote that letter. That his first zeal that he had when he first became like a, you know, like a numerary and worked together with St. Josemaria. Uh, and, and, um, but then his, his, like you say, his, the depth of his fidelity came back in spades as he really became a man of prayer. And in these moments, um, I, I want to really seek your will. I want to seek it out in times of prayer and uh, not fall into excessive activism, volun- what they call voluntarism or perfectionism, kind of working in a veiled attempt to prove my devotion and establish my v- worthiness. That can happen. We sometimes work so hard just, just to prove that we're able to do something that we lose really the you know the essence of you know what we're all about and we can you know lose the, the you know the, the the rectitude ultimately of intention and so let's ask our blessed mother um our lady of the snows you know as saint Josemaria said uh, that this is a time for a crusade for manliness eh? which is applied to Men and women, because we are not souls, we are we are we are not just isolated souls. We are souls in love, not old bachelors, or for women old spinsters. Eh? And we cannot say you know souls. Uh, we have to be souls in love, and that love completely always has to be revived all the time. Eh? And that's why he talks about this crusade of manliness: to be strong, to have fortitude, to be tough. Eh? And and many crusades are always done in teams. They're never done alone. And we're not alone. Uh, others can help us. If we open our heart in spiritual direction and confession, eh? uh, we're never alone. Eh? And, uh, and so we ask our Blessed Mother, she also protects us. Eh? And we make that firm request because, um, as St. Josemaria said in the Forge, he said, speaking about the danger of uh, shipwrecks, he said, when you see the storm coming, if you seek safety in that firm refuge, which is Mary, there will be no danger of your wavering or going down. Santa Maria, Stella Maris, Holy Mary, Star of the Sea, be our guide. She's a star of the sea. So we make this firm request because there's no storm which can really shipwreck the most sweetheart of Mary. When you see the storm coming, it could be anger, it could be passion. She's a good refuge, especially today on the anniversary of this beautiful dedication of the Church of Santa Maria Maggiore. And maybe we can write it on our calendar. I have to go and visit Santa Maria Maggiore and see one of the most beautiful shrines in the world. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.